1: morning church. This morning we're going to read from First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 28. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. if you hold fast to the word, I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them So it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed.
2: Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all.
1: This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Hello, everyone. My name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here in Melbourne, where we're in the middle of lockdown 2.0 and where we've just entered stage four restrictions. Special welcome to you if you're also in lockdown. And if you're not in lockdown, it's great to have you with us. We would love your prayers. As you upload your next photograph of your holiday or your fishing trip to Facebook, we would love you to pray for us. Pray for those who are struggling. Pray for those who are sick and pray for those who are grieving grieving we really do appreciate your tangible encouragement and your prayers well one of the most frustrating things about being in lockdown 2.0 is the feeling that the first lockdown was all for nothing all that staying indoors all that homeschooling all that trying to bake sourdough for nothing as we've seen the numbers go up and up uh, there really are a few things worse than doing something for nothing. Of investing in a business over years and years and then have it disappear overnight. Or pursuing someone that you love, investing time and energy into a person and realizing that your love is unrequited. Or training for a half marathon or a cycling event and then getting injured the week before. It really does suck doing something for nothing, doing something in vain. Well, imagine living your whole life and realizing that it was for nothing. Or imagine living your whole life for Jesus and realizing that it was for nothing, believing in Jesus, working for Jesus, making big life decisions for Jesus, giving your time, your talents, your gifts, your energy, your hard earned money for Jesus and realizing that all of it was for nothing. All of it was in vain. Well, that's the Apostle Paul's concern for Corinth as we hit chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians that we're looking at today. We see his concern there in verses 1 and 2 of the chapter and at the end of the chapter. So verses 1 and 2, he says, now I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, it is possible To live the Christian life in vain. Uh, That is the slow motion car crash that Paul is seeing happening in Corinth. And he writes chapter 15 to stop that car from hitting the wall. Now, the reason that this chapter is in our Bibles is so that we would not live in vain. That we would not live the next 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years in vain. That we would not live for nothing, but instead have the right foundations, the right vision and the right focus for our lives. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is in many ways the climax to the letter. And it's all about the resurrection. And there could be no more important subject than the resurrection uh, for a time such as this. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at chapter 15 and unpacking what the resurrection means for us and for our lives so that we would not live in vain. The next three weeks would be an excellent time to invite someone along. Well, today we're looking at the first 11 verses of chapter 15 and they tell us three really important things about the resurrection. The first is this that the resurrection is foundational. The resurrection is foundational. Uh, Let me read from verse one. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, how would you answer this question? What is the gospel? I know there are some watching who have been Christian for many years. There'll be others who have tuned in, and you're just looking into Jesus and Christianity. There'll be others who have tuned in for cat videos, and you've discovered this. Well, let me ask you all, how would, what is the gospel? Now, Paul says that the gospel is a message, that he preached it to the Corinthians, that they received it, and it is something that they are being saved by. And the content of the message, that's verse 3, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, uh, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, Paul really does give them the ABC of the Christian faith. And and I can't help but think that the Corinthians would have felt patronized as uh, this bit of the letter was was, uh, being read out. Sorry, Paul. Uh, do you know who you're writing to? We are Corinth. We've got super apostles. We've got gifts. We've got tongues. We've got prophecy coming out of our ears. Of course, we know what the scriptures say. Of course, we know what happened to Jesus. That's so basic, Paul. And they would be right. Uh, They were the most impressive church of their time. If Corinth was in lockdown, they would have had the most impressive online service the world has ever seen. But Paul uh, does not tell them this to teach them about facts. He tells them this to teach them about their foundations. He says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. The gospel through which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Paul wants them to know their foundations, and the the the, the runway of the argument, where Paul lands, uh, the whole center of this chapter is the resurrection, and he wants them to know that the resurrection is their foundation. Now, my mate Charlie in the UK uh, illustrates this point um, with this illustration and you can try this at home uh, what he does is he gets a stool or a chair and he gets a child and he gets the child to stand on the chair and the child represents christianity and the stool represents the gospel and the resurrection and what paul does in this chapter and in this passage is that he gives the he gives the the stool a really good shake he gives the resurrection a really good shake If you're playing along at home, uh, you can give the stool a really good shake and see what uh, reaction you get from the child. You see, to stand on the gospel is to stand on the resurrection of Jesus. Take the resurrection away from Christianity and the Christian life falls on its bum. The Christian life is all in vain if the foundation is not the resurrection. Now, Paul's going to unpack a bunch of implications over the course of the chapter. But what he wants us to see here is just how foundational the resurrection is to the gospel and how foundational the resurrection is to the Christian life. You see, the Corinthians, they'd moved away from that foundation. They've moved to other stuff. Uh, Their foundation was uh, quickly becoming their religion and their reputation. And they were uh, religiously impressive. Their church was flashy and it was well known. But like one of those newspaper towers that you make when you're at primary school, uh, religion and reputation will hold you for, for, for a little bit, but ultimately the whole thing will crumble. When hard times hit, unless, reputa- unless the resurrection is your foundation, the whole thing comes down and you live the Christian life in vain. I think this becomes more apparent as you live the Christian life, more of a danger as you go on in the walk with Jesus. You can easily uh, lean on your reputation. Don't you know that I was the president of the Christian Union? Or don't you know that I go to the biggest Anglican church in the whole of Australia? Or have you seen my impressive Instagram of all my Bible verses? Uh, Don't you know who I am? That is a real danger for people like me who've been Christian for a number of years. But when tough times hit, your religion and your reputation will just prove to be a waste of time. See, only the resurrection of Jesus gives your life a firm foundation. The resurrection is foundational. Well, secondly, the resurrection is, is historical. Uh, that's verses 5 to 8. And verses 5 to 8 really do read like a Channel 9 news report of the resurrection. Uh, let me read from verse 5. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Uh, Do you see how the news report flows? And then, and then, and then. And it's deliberately written as a list. It's deliberately written as a list of eyewitnesses. Paul hits them with witness after witness of flesh and blood history. I started to follow Jesus at the age of 18, and I heard about Jesus at the school that I was going to. I'd met some Christians at a summer camp that I went to, and quite frankly, I didn't want to become a Christian. At the same time, I knew that if the resurrection was true, it meant that all Jesus did and all Jesus said was true, and that Jesus had a claim on my life. So not wanting to be a Christian, I set about to disprove the resurrection. Easy target, I thought. Um, I thought that uh, perhaps Jesus didn't actually die, that he kind of staggered around like one of those bad guys in the movies, seriously injured to all these witnesses. Or I thought perhaps people in their grief were hallucinating or it was a look-alike Jesus, or the resurrection was some kind of cleverly orchestrated plot so that these randoms could get a Guernsey in the best-selling book of all time, the Bible. And so I set about to disprove the resurrection so I could put Christianity to one side and get on with my life. Well, I read a bunch of books, and one in particular, uh, which was called Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison, uh, really stood out as it pointed out what was behind the evidence that Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, when people are hallucinating, they don't hallucinate the same thing. Paul says 500 people saw Jesus, and you can go and chat to them if you like the 12, that's Jesus' apostles, they spent more time with Jesus than anyone else. They would have known if it wasn't Jesus. They would have known if it was some other uh, beardy bloke that looked like Jesus. I once went to a party dressed as Jesus and no one bowed down and worshipped me. It's also significant who Paul names as these three individuals, who he calls out. I wonder whether you spotted them as I read out the passage. You see, we've got in verse five, we've got Cephas, uh, that's Peter. Then in verse seven, we've got James. And then in verse eight, we've got Paul. Now, let me ask you, what do you think is significant about those three individuals? Who was Peter? Well, Peter was Jesus' best mate. He spent loads of time with Jesus. Who was James? Well, James was Jesus' brother. And who was Paul? Well, Paul was Jesus' arch enemy, the persecutor and the murderer of the followers of Jesus. Now, let me ask you this: What would it take? What would it take to convince your best mate, your brother, and your arch enemy? that you'd really risen from the dead. What would it take? Jesus was executed by the Romans. They were experts in killing people. He was buried and his body was guarded. And then he appears to his best mate, his brother and his arch enemy. I reckon it would take a lot to convince those people that you really did rise from the dead. The evidence is compelling however what sealed the deal for me at the age of 18 and what turned my life around and caused me to submit my life to jesus was the deaths that these individuals went to proclaiming that jesus had risen from the dead the apostle paul was beheaded peter was crucified upside down and james was stoned to death all convinced that jesus had risen from the dead and that they would rise from the dead too. Who would allow themselves to be stoned to death for something that they knew was a lie? Well, at the age of 18, I prayed a prayer, and I asked Jesus to be in charge of my life. And I can honestly say that uh, because of the resurrection and because of following Jesus, he has changed my life forever. Well, Paul also had his life transformed by meeting the risen Jesus. The Jesus that really did rise from the dead, that really did have flesh and blood and wounds and dry blood. That Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul wants the Corinthians to know that it was historical. But it was not just historical, was it? it was also transformational. And that's uh, the third point that I wanted to look at today, that the resurrection is transformational. That's verses nine to 11. And in these verses, Paul unpacks, unpacks uh, how he has had his life transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, he says, verse eight, that he describes himself as one and untimely born uh, because, um, He never actually saw the pre-resurrection Jesus. At verse 9, he describes himself as the least of the apostles because he was the last pick on the team. And he also describes himself as unworthy to be called an apostle because he spent his life killing Christians. And he says, and here's the transformation. He says, verse 10, he says, he worked harder than any of them preaching the gospel, living the gospel, carrying the gospel, being persecuted, being shipwrecked for the gospel so that people like the people in Corinth would hear the gospel and be saved by the gospel. Now, the reason he heads down this direction is that the Corinthians, they had a a resurrection problem which meant that their lives weren't being transformed in the way that they should have been transformed. Uh, Next week, as we hit verse 12, we'll hear these words. Uh, Paul says, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? They had this uh, warped view of the resurrection. Their view of the resurrection was like Caspar the friendly ghost, that after you die, you went on up to be with the spirit in the sky and you would kind of be liberated from your body, that you would be free to do whatever you want and go wherever you want, just like Casper. The problem is that kind of thinking didn't come from the Bible. That kind of thinking came from Greek uh, thinking, the Greek mindset that said that, that, your soul, that it's all about your soul and, uh, and your body, you can do with what you like. And that's what they did. They treated their bodies like those disposable face masks, discarded, something that didn't matter. They thought that it didn't matter what you did with your body as long as your soul was in a good place. So their Sundays were very flamboyant. Uh, They were very spiritual, very impressive. But Monday to Sunday, the Corinthians were just like anyone else, in Corinth. In fact they were worse than anyone in Corinth. There was sexual immorality, there was lawsuits, there was infighting and division, there was just such unloving cruelty. Now I have a, a rather embarrassing story to tell, but for the gospel I think it's worth it. Um, on week one of City on a Hill Digital, when everyone pivoted and we all got excited about church going online, City on a Hill Digital featured on the ABC Breakfast News. Now, like it was Christmas morning, I darted out of bed and I filmed our, a feature on City on a Hill Digital on the ABC News. And I filmed it and I uploaded it for everyone to see on the staff team. The problem is... As I discovered, was that halfway through the clip, there was a reflection of me just in my towel, and my beautiful body was there for all to see. Don't worry, I uh, replaced it quick as a flash. Now, when you're taking videos of the TV, it matters what you do with your body. Likewise, when you are heading, when you base your life, on a physical resurrection, it matters what you do with your body. It matters how you spend your life. It matters how your body and how you use your body in life is transformed. Uh, The brilliant Dr. Brian Rosner, principal of Ridley College here in Melbourne, writes this in his commentary on on, on these verses. He says, our life in this world matters in part because it turns out to be not merely a waiting room in which we pass our time until being invited into the rest of the building where we will really live. Our life in this world establishes the starting chapters for a story that will continue and flourish in radically new ways and not merely begin for the first time upon the resurrection of the dead. See, this life is not a waiting room. It's not a holding pattern. It's not a warm-up act for resurrection life. Resurrection life starts now. And it transforms the way that we live our lives now. We shouldn't be just transformed on a Sunday as we sing and as we pray and as we go to church. But we should be transformed Monday to Sunday because that's what the resurrection does. It transforms you. It transforms how you do your job. It transforms how you spend your money. It transforms how you give your time. I love seeing how people around City on a Hill use their bodies, use their lives for Jesus. Dentists being dentists for Jesus. Chefs being chefs for Jesus. Mums being mums for Jesus. All because Jesus was raised from the dead. And will cause you to be raised from the dead if you hold fast to the gospel that was preached to you. It gives us great purpose, the resurrection. But it not only gives us purpose, it gives us profound hope. I don't know how you're feeling today as you've woken up and seen the latest news report. You might be struggling to get out of bed today. You might be feeling the weight of lockdown 2.0 and the numbers going up and up. You might be in fear of catching coronavirus. You might even have coronavirus. But the resurrection transforms the story. It transforms our fears and gives us great hope. The hope that only the gospel contains. Uh, There's a painting in Florence that I love. I discovered it in a book when I was about 17, but I actually got to see it in the flesh. It's a beautiful, massive fresco. Uh, It's called The Holy Trinity by Masaccio. And what I love about this picture is what is hidden at the bottom of the picture. See, in the bottom of the picture, as you stand next to this massive painted wall, you come face to face with a skeleton. And the idea is, is that you face Uh, Death in the face as you face the skeleton. And there's an inscription above the skeleton. Uh, It's in Italian or Latin or something, I don't know. As you stand there looking at the skeleton, looking death in the face, the skeleton says these words. It says, "I I was what you are now, and what I am, you will be. I once was what you are now, and what I am, you will be. It's quite a, a bleak picture standing there facing this skeleton. It's a comment on life and the meaningless of life. But what I want us to see from 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 11 is that Jesus transforms the story. Jesus transforms the story. Because of the gospel, we don't look at the skeleton in the tomb. We look at the Jesus who is risen. See, it's the risen Jesus that says, I once was what you are now, and what I am, you will be. See, the gospel brings hope, the gospel brings purpose, the gospel brings life because Jesus brings resurrection. So let me ask you do you believe this gospel? Do you know this gospel? I don't know where you're at, why you're here today, why you've tuned in, but we would love to chat with you. You can uh, hit up the chat function. You can head to City on a Hill digital. Uh, we would love to chat to you and help you explore this gospel. If you do know this gospel, let me ask you, are you holding fast to this gospel? Is this gospel the foundation for your life? Is the resurrection the foundation For your life? Is Jesus risen from the dead, the Jesus who died, the Jesus who was buried, the Jesus who was raised on the third day? Is he the foundation of your life? If he is, if the answer is yes, then you will never live in vain again. You have not believed in vain. Life based on the resurrection of Jesus means that we will not believe in vain, that we will not work in vain. Now, I thought we would land the plane by saying the Apostles' Creed together and remind ourselves of the foundation of what Christians believe. So the words are going to come up on the screen. I'd love you, if you're at home, just to stand and we will say these words together. Let me say them. I believe in God. The Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I
2: believe believe in in Jesus Jesus Christ, Christ, God's God's only only Son, our Lord, Lord,
0: who was conceived conceived of the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit, born born of the Virgin Mary, Mary, suffered suffered under under Pontius Pontius Pilate, Pilate, was crucified, died, died, and was was buried. buried. He descended descended to to the the dead. dead. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.